This podcast contains material that is intended for mature audiences and may not be suitable for all listeners. Enjoy. Would you like to sample some of my nuts? I don't want to get on the bandwagon. I'll burn that wagon down and join the band. Traveling troubadours, terrorizing street corners just to try to get some supper in our hands. Now I waited all my life to get this off my chest screen, bloody murder until someone understands that it ain't about the money, the drugs, or the women. I make this noise just because I can. And we'll all join in to that original sin. So let's get rowdy and reckless. Let's get rowdy and reckless. Hello and welcome yet again to another edition of Old Man Strength, the podcast of the Tailgate Society. I am Tim Johnson, joined as always by Chris Shipley. Chris, how are we doing this evening? Doing well. Doing not not bad. It's uh, it's it's been uh, a hot minute since we've we've talked. Uh, where you just saw your daughter off on a on a graduation. Uh, we're starting to actually get into real summer or as in Minnesota, we skip spring and just go from, from winter to summer back to winter again for a couple of weeks and then back to summer. Uh, but, uh, it's been, it's been, it's been kind of a whirlwind for me. I I don't know about you. If, if you're, if you're full in on summer mode or, or if you're, I mean, it's rained the last two days straight down here. I've went from. 90 degree heat to to cold to to rain to uh so it's been a gamut here caitlin graduated uh got locked myself in a storage unit the night before i uh, couldn't get out <laughs> uh, so it's it's been a crazy couple weeks since we've last talked uh well good good uh <laughs> um I'm I'm glad we'll tell that story we'll get to it oh yeah no i i, I do want to get into to what and or how that happened um but uh no i i really want to kind of uh get jumping in talking with our guest because i'm i'm really excited to talk to this person somebody who uh i don't know how we came to follow each other on twitter but i'm glad that we have um uh very interesting engaging person but uh you managed to score him as a guest on our podcast so chris who are we talking to tonight well, we have the uh, distinguished pleasure to talk to uh, the uh, former assistant attorney general in the Iowa attorney general's office up until about 2017. Uh, he uh, prosecuted the Iowa firm office tax credit scandal and the uh, hot lotto fraud scandal, which he wrote a book about. And I'm about halfway through uh, that book. And our current Iowa state auditor, Rob Sand, who's up for re-election. Rob, thanks for hopping on Old Man Strength. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Can we just can we jump right into the storage locker story? <laughs> sure. Not to not sure. to not to you know pick on you, but I'm especially sure. if especially knowing that that was like in relation possibly to a graduation weekend where you know you probably had ten thousand things to do and 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 sitting in a locked storage not, container by yourself probably wasn't on not, the list. Really not gonna lie. To hear, yeah. <laughs> Not gonna lie, the panic set in pretty quick. 
Uh, so I ended up having to, uh, we moved my daughter out of her apartment. I got a storage unit. Uh, she's going to be a teacher in the fall. My wife brought home some stuff from her classroom to give to Caitlin. It was about 8.30 on Thursday night before graduation. <clears throat> I took the Traverse up to the storage unit just to drop her stuff off. Punched the code to get into the complex. Got in. Gate opened. Got in my storage unit. Unloaded stuff. Closed the storage unit. Got in the car. Drove around. Punched the code in to get out of the gate. I wasn't inside five minutes. Code doesn't work. So... I hit the intercom button that says, if for an emergency, hit the intercom button. Nothing happens. So I drive back around to the other side, punch the code into the other box. Doesn't work. So then I start to panic. So then I go to the website and dial the phone number for the automated service that sold me the unit. Phone disconnects, won't connect to the... I'm so, I'm so shocked to hear that talking to the automated service... Yeah, uh, was, was unsuccessful. I know. So then, think about the prices that we pay in order to not talk to a human. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's like, it would be so much easier if we could just say to someone, "Hey, I'm here and I can't get out." I know, so, but, but Rob, have you met humans? I will pay a lot of money to not deal with them. <laughs> right? I tend to like them. Maybe that's uh, <laughs> maybe that's a good reason to be in government service that's, uh, or public that's service. That's the politician but, in you. That's yeah, the yeah. politician Yeah. So I then called the phone number that was on my paperwork, uh, and it went to a voicemail to a storage unit in Ames. So then I called my wife, and she drove up and entered the code into the box that was on the outside that actually worked. Code yeah. still doesn't work. Yeah. So now I'm really panicked because I can't, I clearly can't, I can't climb this fucking fence. It's six and a half feet with spokes. <laughs> I'm 300 pounds. I'm not climbing this fence. There's no way. Uh, so I told Stacy, I go, I, I, I'm going to have to call 911 because I mean, maybe they have a contact number for, for 911 for the, hey, we got another one down at the old storage unit, guys. Who's going to let them out this FYI. Time? Not the first time that guy said to respond to that storage unit. That's yeah. what he told me yeah. when he got there. Yeah. Oh so God. he proceeded to take my name, the, the, the dispatch somebody. As I'm waiting, I text our buddy Paul Parizic. And I said, Paul, uh -huh. just so you know, you're going to hear my name come across a scanner. I'm locked in this storage unit. <laughs> I get four... I get four laughing emojis back. That's his response. I, will, I was going to ask, like your first... Instinct is that they just called 911 and not be like, hey, Paul, what would you do in this scenario? So, and then he texts back and said, sorry, I meant to say that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> My finger slipped. My finger slipped. Autocorrect. Autocorrect. So the, I was the imagining that you up. were like, so you were on the grounds. You were locked inside the right. grounds of right. the storage but I, Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking I you were like in, in the unit. unit. No, yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, yeah, I was like, you're in the unit, no. in the dark. Like, no one can see you or hear you scream. Yeah, no. like, I, I've so, seen this episode of Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I know where this goes. <laughs> but you uh, can get fresh air where you were. That's much better. I end up, the cop ends up lifting the gate up high enough that I can <laughs> shimmy underneath the gate <laughs> to at least get out of the complex. I parked the Traverse in there. I called the storage unit again where the voicemail was and left them a voicemail explaining them what happened and did not tow my car in the morning when somebody gets there 
because there's signs everywhere that says <laughs> overnight parking will result in a tow because I need the car to take everybody to graduation tomorrow. Right. Uh, and then five minutes later after I left the voicemail, the guy that owns the place called me and gave me a temporary code. And then he was like, well, why didn't you just leave a voicemail? I always check my voicemails. Well, how the fuck am I supposed to know that at nine o'clock at night? Well, the... boy. So, yeah. So that's how that started. I think FYI, Stacy did take a picture of me behind the bars. I think I, I would have just shouted renegade in Florida and tried to drive right through the fence. But that's, uh... And then blamed it on them. Been like, yeah, right? you're the one that locked me in here. What was I supposed to do? Exactly. I, didn't want to, I didn't want to call the police and bother them. Right. Well, that's and, a pretty good story. And the next time I have a busy weekend where I'm supposed to be doing stuff with my family and I, you know, get stuck somewhere, I'll think about that. You're going to be, yeah. you're going to be quote unquote locked in a storage unit when you don't want to have to deal with people. <laughs> we'll have to see what happens. I was gonna say because that sounds like a really good excuse, honestly. Like, oh man, you know, I would have made it to that party, but I got locked <laughs> in a storage unit. Or if he's got invoice number seven eight nine four three dash yeah, exactly. twelve yeah. to read. Yeah, yeah. So before we started, before we started talking, I was telling these guys I was on page seven. I've got twenty pages left to go on a report that I need to get through tonight. So that's gonna be my project for when we're done and after i finish the phone call about at eight o'clock then i'll get back to my my audit for the evening so so yeah why don't we why don't we go and start there rob um uh you have i think uh, a really um exciting job filled with intrigue um <laughs> but ser but seriously like, your job is actually i think probably a lot more interesting than than i think people necessarily understand so uh, yeah yeah, yeah like you know you've you spent a career uh prosecuting criminals and uh watching out for fraud and watching out to protect iowans from from maybe some nefarious or otherwise uh, right. uh misuse of, of funds so why don't you you explain to our listeners what <laughs> God, this is gonna sound like office space what would you say you do <laughs> so michael i celebrate his entire catalog <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i mean the, the thing about the auditor's office is you know people think of an auditor and they're like okay you know they, they actually they would picture michael bolton not of the singer but they would picture michael bolton from office space you know right like dude with like a pocket protector and some glasses and just you know the green eye shade and we have a lot of those people in the office they are wonderful public servants who care a lot about the state of iowa and want to do do right by it um but the other thing that the office does that was more my background is public corruption investigations. That's actually the report I'm reading through uh, is from our investigative division uh, related to uh, the misuse uh, of tax dollars for personal purposes. Um, and so that's, those are investigations that we conduct on a regular basis. It was basically what got me interested in the office was the idea that like I had worked with them a lot. I was over in the attorney general's office prosecuting public corruption, a lot of other cases too. But typically if the auditor's office issued a, a report and it ended up getting referred by the county attorney to the attorney general's office, it came to my desk. And I got to know the people over there, uh, people like Annette Campbell and Jim Cunningham, whose names Iowans may never hear again, maybe they never heard before, but they're making a career out of catching, catching the bad guys mm -hmm. uh, on behalf of taxpayers. They're good people. 
And I liked working with them because they had the same kind of passion that I had that when you saw somebody taking advantage of a position of trust or taking advantage of a position of power, it made them angry. These are people who are supposed to be public servants. They're people who should be appreciative of whatever degree they have some degree of status in life, right? They are entrusted with access to other people's money. They have a job. They are not desperate. And it's, it makes me mad. Um, and so I get to work on these investigations with uh, Annette and Jim and the rest of the team, as well as working on our, our standard financial audits uh, with other folks uh, on the audit side of the office. And then we got a new, uh, a new efficiency program. So it's kind of taxpayer's watchdog. We do financial audits, uh, public corruption investigations, and then now we've got a new program to promote government efficiency that's going well. So that is the office in a nutshell. So <clears throat> prior to you having that office, I'm not entirely sure, and, and maybe it's because I, I've just gotten older and been more in tune with what's going on. I don't know that a lot of people the auditor's office was on anybody's radar before. And I think that has you know, a lot to do with some of your transparency, some of the posts that you do and things like that. Was that something that you uh, consciously wanted to do was to bring more light to the office and how important it was? Uh, well, or was it just not, something nobody was really paying attention to before? So, so I guess I'd say this, I consciously wanted to wake up the watchdog. Like that was literally the campaign slogan in 2018. Because I was looking here at an office that had a lot of good people working in it, but that could do a lot more, right? And fundamentally, I mean, if you think about the concept of a watchdog, a watchdog has to be aggressive if it's going to do its job. You can't have, like, if, if you're going to pick, you would rather have the watchdog that occasionally barks, and then you're like, oh, there's nothing going on, than the watchdog who occasionally sleeps through someone stealing from you. you got to have one that's going to be, you know, barking. And I, and I wanted to do that. I saw, I saw in this office uh, the ability to really have an impact for taxpayers in a way that just wasn't happening currently. Now, people who have been around Iowa a very long time would remember Dick Johnson. Mm -hmm. He had been a uh, state auditor quite some time ago, um, 20 years ago, uh, in, the, in the 90s uh, and in the 80s. And he was a bit of a rabble rouser like me. He wasn't afraid to call people out no matter who they were. And say, hey, what are you doing? You know, there's a better way to do this. Or say, hey, what are you doing? That's not the way you're supposed to do this. That's illegal. And so I think back at, back in the day, I would guess that people were more familiar with the auditor's office because Dick Johnson was more willing to, you know, raise hell. Which when you, when you think about our system of government and you think about, you know, what we get out of it, there's a lot of hell raising that needs to happen. And I, I look at all of this stuff and it just, you know, having come from a place where when I was indicting people criminally, I, I was aware of the fact that they were facing time behind bars. And oftentimes I was trying to put them behind bars. It's like, you know, if, if you're getting uh, all, all twisted up because I'm calling you out in an audit report for misusing funds, calm down. It's an audit. <laughs> you know, you're not, you're not getting charged with the crime here. Um, we're doing our job. And I just think if we're, if we're really going to do the job for taxpayers, you've got to have somebody in here who's, you know, pushing. Well, sure. I mean, you mentioned the term government efficiency, which I think a, a few people would consider an oxymoron. In <laughs> ways. <laughs> um, and I think, I think, 
there's certainly something to be said for people that that aspire to public office. Uh, uh, you're not going to find too many introverts running for public office. You're not going to find too many. Not people, typically, right? That that are uh, you know not to say that there aren't so many people that are are interested in the greater good for for the community or for the state or for whatever. Uh, but I think uh, it it seems like it's probably a, a pretty fertile soil for uh, maybe some people with some more self interest, uh, right? That that I think it it requires for for the taxpayers for for uh, the folks of Iowa to have someone who's who's paying attention, particularly to the things that people aren't necessarily looking at on a day to day basis. Yeah. Yeah, and that and that goes to, uh, uh, I think part of your question earlier, Chris, is like the idea of like raising the. It's it's less about raising the profile of the office, and you talk about like my transparency efforts, and you know I do a little virtual town hall on Facebook on Tuesdays at four forty five. I'm active on Twitter and active on Facebook, um, and I think that's part of my job to be there because because look, like I don't you know government is large and complex and unwieldy and I get paid a salary in taxpayer dollars to in part help everybody understand what's going on. That is my job. And so I, I see that as part of my job and I enjoy that because it's your government. It's your government, right? It's our government. It belongs to us. And so the people who are in it should be out there answering questions and talking to folks about what's going on. Uh, but I want to dovetail that into and to something you said, you know, about the government efficiency being an oxymoron. And I want to, and I want to dovetail uh, addressing that into the idea that, you know, that people in government are bad and that, and that, and that, uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's fertile ground for people who, who are self-interested. So let me tell you a little story. So the question of government efficiency to me is, is not a question of is it efficient or isn't it, but how efficient can we get it, mm -hmm. right? I hate, hate's a strong word, and, I, or, and we are trying so hard to get our five-and-a-half-year-old to stop saying it. So uh, <laughs> he, he, he's, he hates this, hates that, you know. So we're trying to get him off of it, so I'll back up. Uh, I really don't like the idea that we constantly have no room for nuance in our lives. I can't stand the idea that people, you just have your ideology or your prediction of what's going to happen. And then instead of actually going out there and doing the work to make the better outcome happen, we tend to sit back and say, well, here's my prediction. And then we're satisfied to see our prediction happen, whether it's actually a good outcome or not. And so to me, I, is, can government be efficient? Well, I don't know. How efficient can we get it? We're asking the wrong question. Let's get it as efficient as we can do. Let's do something to make it as efficient as it can possibly be. Because government efficiency is great. Let's save a pile of money for the county and then let's argue about whether or not we should lower property taxes or hire a new sheriff's deputy, right? But first, if we can get it more efficient, that's good. So we created this program. It's called PI, Public Innovations and Efficiencies. And the whole point of it is improving efficiency. We have these, it's like a checklist of basic money-saving practices. Some of them you can do in your own home. Anyone who wants to look at them and apply them in their house, it's at auditor.io.gov slash pi. Um, but we, we ask governments to fill out which ones they're doing and which ones they're not and send it back to us. And then we ask them to do it again the next year. 
and uh, you know, watch them grow over time as they're improving by uh, putting in place more efficiency practices. We then have a pie contest every year where we give awards for the best performing cities and counties of different sizes, the most improved cities and counties and school districts of different sizes. Uh, and then we actually collect pie recipes. So pie recipe being, you know, the guy that drives the street sweeper. You guys are like, I saw I grew up on Decorah. I swear as we drove around different towns for NAIC sports, like it was the same boxy white street sweeper sweeping the streets of every town in Northeast mm -hmm. Iowa. And so maybe you're the guy that drives that street sweeper and there's only one company apparently that makes them because they all look the same. And, uh, you know, you, you figured out a way to uh, repair one of the parts that breaks all the time without having to pay the exorbitant price that that one company wants to charge you for it. And you're the, you came up with that idea because you have the knowledge. You're the guy on the ground. These aren't our ideas. It's not my ideas. What we do is we collect those pie recipes, those ways to save money. And we put them into the program. And we name the person who came up with the idea so that anyone who's got a question about it can actually call them to get that, to get that idea into practice in their own city or county, right? So this program is awesome. Uh, I think it's a very safe estimate to say it's going to help cities, counties, school districts unlock hundreds of millions of dollars in savings. Uh, uh, the uh, participation volume increased from 350 entities to over 500 in the second year. And the number of practices that people have in place increased on average by 30%. So they're, by, by being able to benchmark and then have a reference in front of them every year to look at to say, hey, here's another thing we could do. They are, in fact, increasing the number of practices they have in place. Now, this is right unmitigated good. It is efficiency. We are saving taxpayer money. This program is going so well that the state auditor of Mississippi copies it. Just is like, hey, can you can you uh can you tell me more about this program? I'm like, yeah, sure. Here's the website. Here's what you can look at. Here's how we do it. I can run through the same explanation I just gave you guys. Would you mind if we uh, if we did that in Mississippi? Mind? No. Please do. I'd be curious to see what ideas, what pie recipes Mississippians come up with that we can copy here in Iowa and save more money. Great. He's a Republican. I'm a Democrat. Awesome. Even better. Right. People who are looking not at the letter behind somebody's name, but their ideas and cooperating regardless. We sent out a release announcing this success. And this goes to the idea, you know, there's so much bad happening constantly. We send out an idea about this success, right? This is a big success, mm -hmm. a point of pride for Iowa, the same way that when, you know, Ashton Kutcher does something good for charity out in California, we see it reported in the news in Iowa because we're proud of him. He's an Iowan. Uh, you guys talked to Carson King. We're proud of him. He's an Iowan. Mm -hmm. And so we're like, hey, we invented a new program. It's saving lots of money. Other states are copying it. We're thinking, you know, there should be some pride points in coverage here. Two radio stories. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> no, no newspaper coverage, no TV coverage, just like a radio station in Western Iowa and, and then Radio Iowa. That's, that's all the coverage. And I've talked to reporters about this, and this is part of the perception problem that we have in public services, a lot of reporters are like, oh, well, if something good happened in government, that's you doing your job. We're here to hold you accountable, so we only write stories when you screw something up. And so then what happens, though, is that we all get a skewed perception of what's going on, because mm -hmm. they cover the, the fights and they cover the problems. And then when we have a big success like this program, it's kind of like crickets. I mean, I, I, 
I think a perfect analogy right there is what you just talked about is something uh, uh, that is going on great in the auditor's office that is about finding efficiency when so many people want to focus on the corruption because that's what's scandalous. That's what's yes. Right. That's what sells newspapers and gets clicks and gets viewers. Yes. Yes. You, you said, um, you said something interesting there about uh, the, the Mississippi, uh, auditor and being Republican and you were like, great, that's, let's do that. I think that you've had a pretty good track record of holding both sides accountable um, and not uh, been any leniency on any one side and whatever. Although I would say some of your opponents probably say opposite, um, but they do say the opposite, but they do. I can't stop uh, them from lying. <laughs> right. Uh, but as I was reading your book uh, on the lottery scam, you talk a little bit about, um, how you grew up and the rifle that you you won, <laughs> which I found was when I first read it, I was like, "Is this really true?" So then I feel like so I got to ask that story and just expand on that. Is when you were younger, how that kind of shaped you in in what you're doing now? Yeah. So this is this is one of the opening. This this I think it's like the first part of the book. This book took a long time and then COVID hit, and so sometimes Let's I'm like, "I don't want to read it." So that doesn't make me feel so bad. <laughs> Not oh, because it's Rob, not a page turner, about, you're just busy. It's a page I, I know, turner, I, you're just busy. No, I he, he, I read he just for five slow. minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm old, okay? Uh, a lot of words to sound out, Rob. A lot of words to sound so out. If, <laughs> if anybody wants to read it, it's called The Winning Ticket. You can get it on Amazon or kind of wherever. Um, but yeah, I was, I was at the Fox and Coon Club, which is like an outdoors club in Decorah. <laughs> My dad, what you think that's funny? <laughs> uh, that's I'm sorry. That's, it might have been I'm, it might have been one of the only times that we went there. So I was a my dad probably at the time. Uh, you know, we did I did lots of hunting with a BB gun. You know, plinking sparrows and and pigeons at my buddy Cole's house. Uh, his dad runs and now he runs a, a concrete company. Um, and so I you know a lot of time with BB guns. Eventually got uh, a bow and arrow and was doing some bow hunting, but we went to Fox and Clued Club and they were having a raffle that night. So it was like a wild game feed. And I remember, you, you know, raccoon, squirrel, pretty much everything was on the menu, bear probably. Um, but they had a drawing at the end of the night. The big drawing was for a Ruger 1022, which I didn't know at the time, but it's actually like a super common um, 22. I was just this kid. I mean, I was probably 14 years old. And uh, we had like kind of two hand-me-down 22s at home, both from my dad's dad, which were cool, but they were not nearly as cool as a Ruger 1022 because that's, you know, it's got a nice little 10-round magazine that fits up inside of the stock. And it's still just a 22, but it's pretty neat. Um, and so we're... Uh, we're sitting there and the guy who's doing the raffle comes over to Cole, my buddy. And he is like, here, you pull the winner out of there. And Cole sticks his hand down in there and pulls out a sheet of paper and looks at it and looks at me and looks me dead in the eye and just goes, Rob sand. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, I, I have like at this point in my life, never won anything. And it was like a thing. Just like, I never went where, you know, I was being a whiny little kid. And, and the guy takes the thing, the, the sheet of paper out of Cole's hand and just like yells into the room, Rob Sand! 
and like it says it again, Rob, Sam, and, and like my dad, Cole's dad, we're all there. They're like, Rob, he's right here. And I'm like, literally speechless. Like I just won a, a 22. This is awesome. And, uh, and so the, 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 the funny part of the story that Chris is getting to is like, you know, some, t- some amount of time later, Cole's like, Hey Rob, when I pulled your name out, I had looked down in the barrel and seen it down in there <laughs> in, into the bucket. <laughs> And I was, I was pissed because uh, it made me feel, made me feel dirty, like a cheater, you know, and I was just, I was so mad at him. I was like, you, you did what? Like, I can't believe you did that. And he's like, never mind. I was just screwing with you. I knew that would piss you off. So I just said it to piss you off. I didn't know. I, it was, it was, you know, it was fair. Uh, and so I, I mean, at the end of the day, only Cole Quandall to this day truly knows whether or not he saw my name on that scrap of paper and then pulled it out or if we just pulled it out. Uh, but it's that kind of stuff. It's just like, I, and you know, I've, I've been teased about this before. I'm a, I'm a little bit of, uh, you know, straight arrow. My brothers in law, when I started dating, my now wife used to call me baby Jesus. Uh, <laughs> Cause I, cause you know, you're fairly baby faced fairly baby faced uh, appearance yeah. yeah absolutely uh and you know i don't know i'm just i'm living my life i'm the only person that i know how to be which is me i don't know if it's because i didn't make myself this way it's just who i am and so i guess that's who i am uh but yeah to me that's part of public service is like i think i think we should have people in there who are trying you know it's like like jim cunningham again i'll go back to him so now that's the second time iowans will hear his name He's this guy who he's hard. He's really hardworking. He's passionate about the work that he does. He cares a lot about doing the right thing. And he's the same way as me. It gets him pissed off when he sees people abusing the public's trust. It's good to have people like that. It's good for us to land in the right place where we can actually put that desire to do the right thing to work for other people. We can put that to work. So talking about uh, abusing the people's trust and, and, you know, you've shared a lot about the fact that, that, you know, the, that public servants can do a lot of good for, for the state, but, and as much as we can say, Oh, this is what, what gets clicks or this is what sells uh, newspapers. Um, do you think, though, that there has been a fair amount of actual scandals that have happened, a fair amount that has actually uh, maybe made the, the public less less trusting uh, enough? Oh, yeah. Right, right? That there, there's been enough going on that you certainly have to appreciate a healthy skepticism that I think. I, I have. Oh, yeah. I have it myself, I think, too. Okay. You know, it's like, and it's sad. You can look at studies of public trust you know do you think in general that the government does the right thing and basically after watergate just has continued to drop and drop and drop and drop and you know the reality is that right now the political system that we have developed in this country over time not straight out of the constitution and actually it's pretty contrary to what a lot of the founding fathers wanted but the political system that we have developed in this country over time 
has come to a point where there's very little accountability for people in elected office. Mm-hmm. It seems like nothing, they can just do nothing and somehow it doesn't have any impact on what happens. And people are disgusted and fed up by it. And I count myself among them. I have that health and skepticism. I have that sense of anger uh, about things not about things that happen that are clearly bad and yet nothing, it never seems to actually matter. Yeah. I mean, I, incredibly frustrating. I think, I think, you know, I'm certainly not someone who's to. going to be a conspiracy theorist and think there's some sort of cabal of elites or whatever, but I think we've seen enough of the influence that money has had on politics enough of yep. what lobbyists have had on politics. And, and I think, uh, you know, it becomes challenging for people to believe that any elected official or appointed official or whatever is beholden to the people rather than to, yeah. uh, you know, the, and certainly I, I work in an industry where we use a lobbyist to help us get legislation passed. Right. Like I, I understand the benefit of a lobbyist, but I think, I think that's where, where I think a number of people have been uh, concerned. Right. Yep. Um and I, I think, again, that's one thing that your office does when you look at government corruption, when you look at, at that, is, is to understand uh, are taxpayer dollars actually being spent appropriately and within kind of the guidelines, right? Right. That's exactly right. And the thing that, you know, money, money has its impact and lobbyists have their impact. And the other thing... And I, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna step onto my soapbox here for a minute. Is partisanship? I mean that that has honestly been my biggest surprise in this job. Is I thought that I thought that Des Moines would be a lot different from what I expect from DC. I thought people here would be more interested in just oh thanks for bringing that to me attention. You know, like me and the guy, the Republican. So I'm a Democrat. For anyone who's listening, who doesn't know. I also would prefer to we get rid of all political parties. Let me say that it's not because I think the democratic party is so great. It's because we have a stupid system that forces every one of us, whether we're voters or not, that if we want to maximize our impact, we have to pick our poison. But the problem is that it's poison, right? So I was hoping that when I started this job, that it would be kind of like me and Shad white, the Mississippi Republican state auditor. Oh, you got a good program here. Can we do that? Sure. You can. Here's all the stuff. What questions do you have? I don't know. Hey, if you get any good ideas on a Mississippi, we'll send us in Iowa. Sure. will. great. You know, why would we not just be doing good things? And instead, yeah, yeah. we have all this stuff that doesn't get advanced because and it doesn't get advanced because of partisanship. And, and you know, you can look at different states. Both, both parties do it where they have total control of government that's longstanding, longstanding total control. And that's, that's what's killing us. So my, my, my book recommendation to everybody out there is the politics industry. And it's about the problems that we have. It's about how partisanship is making our our government unable to actually execute on solving problems. And it's also about how we fix it. Like what we can do going forward to actually make a system where where it does feel like the people are getting served. And instead of having to pander to extremism, uh, public servants and elected officials can actually say, this is what I believe. This is why I believe it and start acting more like statesmen and stateswomen. Yeah. It it surprised me that that office is partisan at all in the first place that, that it would require That was one of my questions earlier, too. Yeah, it was. I was surprised at that. That's okay. I was surprised at that. And that is required, but you you have to run on a party platform in order to to get that position. Yeah, Yeah, to get any to get any position. I mean, that's the the dumb reality of our system. Right. Because I was I was a registered independent when I first registered to vote. 
my, my parents, when I was growing up, they're Democrats now. They became Democrats after the second Iraq war. Um, but they were independents my whole time growing up. And life and politics, the house I was raised in was more about just doing the right thing and having an impact and, and serving your community. And I, and I registered as independent first, and then I pretty quickly realized, oh, in order to vote in the primary, you have to be registered with the party. Well, that doesn't make sense. I mean, think about that, you guys. Yeah. How un-American is it that in the country where we celebrate Independence Day, we do not allow independent voters to participate <laughs> as freely in our democracy as partisan voters? My, my high school government teacher told me that I was stupid for not choosing a, a political party. She's like, how, how would you decide to, to vote? on on uh offices that you don't with know. my brain and i was like well like look if i don't know <laughs> I'd, I'd rather not elect in a criminal just because he, right. he's affiliated yes. with i uh, right i've right. thought a lot about this over the last obviously the last day or so but i i've i've said for many years that i'm i'm probably a a, a person without a party uh yep. and you absolutely cannot be in the middle because both sides will eat you alive and and this is a good example. I mean, obviously the tragedy uh, last night, um, and, and and that whole thing. And I've seen the the, the Republicans get eviscerated online, which uh, is warranted in my opinion. But the Democrats have had power at some points in the last twenty three, twenty four years as well, and they haven't solved it. And why yeah. is that? Are you telling me that the Republicans, every time the Democrats have had power, the Republicans have been able to outsmart them and block them at every turn? So either they they are too stupid to figure it out, or really, honestly, if they solve the problem, what are they going to campaign on and gather their money on? Chris, bingo. I mean, there's a perverse incentive in our system. And again, the book, ladies and gentlemen, is The Politics Industry. They do a really good job of laying this all out. And no, I'm not related to either of the authors or anything. This is just, this is my, <laughs> my, my somewhat lonely crusade that I hope many other people will join me on. But there is a perverse incentive in our political system to not solve problems because that way you can campaign on them and you just blame the other party. And I'll tell you this, this, this book hands it to both the Democrats and the Republicans pretty evenly. They talk about immigration, and, and one of the things that, that could have been fixed on immigration that Obama played a role in stopping. Mm-hmm. And it, and and they, their point was, you know, we want to be able to campaign on this, then do we really want to fix it? And that's a terrible thing to say, and yet you're in these high-pressure situations, and it's easy for people to get pushed into a position where even though they know what the right thing to do is, they don't do it because they want to maintain power. And because they want to keep what they have. And if we if we got away from that, if we moved to a system where independent voters were equally uh, respected and equally honored in the system, where they had the equal right to vote as partisan voters, and where it wasn't constantly just choosing the lesser of two evils, then you really would have the ability for voters to choose problem solvers instead of partisan bomb throwers. And that's, I think, the number one issue for us right now, honestly, is look at any problem. There's solutions out there. The problem is not finding an answer. The problem is actually just doing it. And the lack of political willpower comes from a system that incentivizes two parties fighting each other instead of actually getting problems solved. 
I think I think one thing that always fascinates me is, and this happens time and time and time again with poll after poll after poll, that if you interview voters on specific issues, they feel one way. And if you ask them about their political affiliation, they feel another like there is there is a, yeah. a disconnect between what people value and what they want out of a government, out of a society, out of a state, uh, and how they vote, whether or not they're voting actively against their own self-interest or whether or not uh, they identify with one party, even though all the things they value are different. And I don't know where that, where or how that disconnect happens, but it happens repeatedly and consistently that if you ask ask people what they want done and ask them how they're voting and and that's all, that's definitely on both sides like it it does it yep. does not under, like make sense to me i can't i can't square that circle and i don't know if you have any insight on that let me let me give it a stab so i'm going to first i'm going to push back on something okay uh, and 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 then i'll and then i'll talk about why people do that so one of, one of my things that I can't stand hearing is the idea that people are voting against their own self-interest because every m- most major world religions and a lot of other good thinking recognize that our own self-interest is not our purpose in this world alone. Sure. Okay. That, that, mm-hmm. what we are, that what is good for me should not be my highest guiding light. Sure. And so Democrats oftentimes... Uh, have this really annoying attitude where they say, oh, these people should be voting for us. You know, they're not smart enough to figure it out. No, they care about something more than they care about themselves. Thank goodness for people like that on this planet. Mm -hmm. Right. And so whatever their issue is, it happens to be an issue that Republicans agree with them on. They're like, well, Republicans aren't going to do anything for me, but I'm not voting for me. I'm voting for X, Y, and Z. And now I, I wish that I wish that was happening, uh, you know, in, in the direction that was better for the party that I happen to belong to, the poison that I happen to be holding. But it's not. But that's that's what that is, you know. And I, I don't, you know, and it's the same thing with uh, wealthy people who support Democrats with their votes or with contributions because they're like, yeah, my taxes should be higher. I have an insane amount of money. I don't know what to do with it all. You know, and so they're same way. They're voting against their economic self-interest, but we are more than our own bottom line. Now, now the, the, the trick here comes, and the reason people keep doing it is because we have, again, a stupid two-party system that pretends that there are only two ways to think. Mm-hmm. And so we tell people, you know, oh, well, if you, if you believe uh, in butter side up, you have to be on the, this side of the wall in the great butter battle. And if you believe in butter side down, you have to be on that side. And really, that's the only divide. So if, if you care, for example, if you care more about the issue of abortion than anything else, then, uh, and, you, and, you, and, and you just maniacally believe, uh, strongly believe that life begins at conception, you, and, and that is like an overriding issue for you that you feel passionately about, you only have one choice in the general election. You're going to vote for the Republicans. And that's dumb. We should have a system where you can have on your on your ballot uh, in the general election 
multiple Republicans or multiple Democrats that have additional other views to offer, right? So that you can actually vote for someone that's closer to all of your views as opposed to only, you know, exciting you and riling you up on the thing that you're most passionate about. Because I don't know if you guys have noticed, but the riling up, not going so great lately. January 6th, not a good thing. Right. And the more we rile people up on these <clears throat> issues, uh, the worse it the worse our political uh, landscape becomes, the more dangerous our country becomes, and the, le and the fewer problems we actually solve together. And I, and I, and I want to say this, too. Problem solving, I'm not talking, some people go, oh, Democrat problem solving, he wants to make more government programs. No. Problem solving can be removing regulations. Mm -hmm. It depends on the situation, right? Again, we have to make room for nuance. This is common sense. Every time somebody gets up there and they're like, you've never even passed a bill, right? That should be the death knell for anyone who's in the legislature. Now, a common rejoinder to that has become, well, I didn't pass any bills because I don't want any new programs. So that's a good thing. Ha ha. Uh, to, un to get rid of a regulation, to get rid of a law, you have to pass a law that gets rid of the law. Yeah. So even if, you're, right. even if your ideology is, I want fewer regulations, well, then you have to pass a law to get rid of the regulations, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it was just, you know, I don't know. I, I'm in this, as you can tell, <laughs> I don't really like our system. I don't really like our politics and I'm in it uh, to try to do something about it. I feel like that's, I feel like that's a good use for the blessings that I've had in my life. I call it a political purgatory is what I call it. Maybe we're all in it, and we can and we can <laughs> right. ride it, ride it out, right. ride it out, so that our kids have a system that actually works a little bit better. Lean into that for sure, Rob. You uh, let's talk a little bit about your time in the attorney general's office. How much time do you have? Do you have a hard stop um, here at eight? I mean, I've got a I've got an eight o'clock phone call, but that's it's a I can it's government okay. stuff. They can wait. <laughs> no, it's actually it's a it's a it's a phone call with a friend, but uh, that makes it easier to bump. It's just one person waiting on me. <laughs> uh, fascinated by the work that you did uh, on the uh, Eddie Tipton lottery scandal. Honestly, I mean, you talk a little bit about it in your book, but when you got handed that case, I mean, I, I've worked jobs before where your boss gives you something and you're like, are you fucking serious right now? <laughs> like, you're seriously going to give me this? How am I even going to start on this? I mean, it's a grainy video of some dude buying a lottery ticket. How? Did, yeah. I mean, what were your initial thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I was the youngest guy in, in the division that I was working in by or, or uh, the youngest prosecutor by, by 10 years. Uh, I, and, and so, you know, I was used to, as the saying goes, S word flows downhill. So uh, <laughs> we're trying to, we're also trying to get the five-year-old to quit saying that one. So <laughs> it slipped, it slipped just a few times from his mouth. And so now I'm getting really adamant about it. Um, so I was used to getting handed stuff that, you know, other people didn't want to work on and that's fine. I'm, I have no problem with, you know, um, what's the expression I'm looking for, you know, taking my breaks and, uh, earning my keep and getting knocked around a little bit to, to build my experience. Right. Sure. 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 
so I, that wasn't strange to me. And Tom, uh, my old boss, so this is Tom H. Miller, not Tom J., Tom J. Miller, Attorney General, Tom H. Miller. Yeah, Deputy so we've got to stop you there for a second. I had yeah, no I know, idea right? that there I were know. two separate yeah. Tom Millers that were yeah. Attorney Generals. I've only known the Democrat for my entire life, it seems like. Right. And then Tom H. is a Republican, Deputy AG. I want to think of, so people in the office jokingly would say Big Tom and Little Tom, which always makes me think of that scene in Wayne's World where they're with Alice Cooper <laughs> and they're like, you, you very big, me, me, very, very small. <laughs> That is a reference, by the way. I, I That's right. I applaud that. One of the great yeah, pieces I, of cinema, cinema in American history. I thank think. you Wayne's very World. much for that reference. Yeah. So good. But uh, yeah, so Tom Tom had been kind of a mentor to me. He tried my few first few cases with me, you know, kind of taught me the ropes. And he, by the way, just, you, you want to talk about good public servants. Here's a name that nobody knows, Tom H. Miller. You wouldn't recognize him on the street because he's not the Attorney General Tom Miller. And this guy has done so much to provide justice for victims of crimes, to, to catch the bad guys and gals. There was this case. Can I talk about a different case instead of the lottery case? Sure. No, you, you were Because that way everybody has do to whatever you want. That, that way everybody has to buy the book, right? There you go. Right. <laughs> there no, we seriously, go. I want to tell you a different story. Wrong. I want to tell you a story about Tom H. Miller because... People don't know this story. People don't know what Tom Miller has, Tom H. Miller has done for this state. Um, Tom J. Miller obviously has done a lot too, but a lot of that gets more coverage. So there was this case that Tom uh, was, I think this was back when he was Guthrie County attorney. Maybe he was in the attorney general's office, but there had been a, 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 a couple of adults and a couple of kids that had gone missing. Uh, two adults, two kids, they were into the drug business. So there was a lot of suspicion about what had happened. And, and frankly, decent evidence about who had made them disappear one way or another. But the feds uh, didn't want to indict the people who had done it. They were like, eh, evidence not that, isn't that strong. And that's, you know, you, you, you want to be careful when you are, pressing an indictment against somebody because it's usually the biggest thing that's going to happen in their life. Mm -hmm. But you have to also have to respect the role of the jury in the process and prosecutors shouldn't behave as though, you know, they should only be prosecuting the easy cases. Cause if you do that, you're missing out on a big piece of justice. You should be willing to take a, take a risk that you might lose a case. That's the way the system is designed to work. That is why there's a jury, right? Mm -hmm. So the federal prosecutors didn't want to indict this case. And Tom said, give it to me, deputize me just for this case, deputize me as an assistant U.S. attorney and give me the case and I'll indict him. And they're like, all right. And I think that's because Tom cared more about getting the right thing done than his win loss record. Right. And if you, and if you're, if you're more focused on doing the right thing, occasionally you're, it's not going to turn out the exact way that you thought it might. So, so Tom indicts these people and they go to, they, they're in prison being held uh, because that's what happens when you're indicted for the murder of, you know, two to four people on a drug related killing, but th they didn't know where the, you know, there were no bodies. Like nobody knew where, what happened to these people. They weren't, they were just missing really. Everyone thought they had been killed, but they didn't know where the bodies were. While these people are in prison, this guy befriends one of them, another jailhouse, 
in, in, who turns out to be an informant. That guy, by the way, was such a good jailhouse snitch that he somehow like was an informant on like three cases. But this guy, I'm, I'm blanking on his name. I think his name was Robert something. Tom would remember. Gets one of these killers to draw him a map to where the bodies are buried. And he does it by saying, I got a guy on the outside who will take the fall for you, but we got to know where the bodies are so that we can tell the police where to get the bodies. Because that's the only way we're going to get them to unindict you and then indict my guy. And he's going to take the fall for you. And so this person that Tom had indicted, who was only in jail next to this jailhouse informant because Tom took a risk to, to try to do the right thing, draws a map to the bodies which then this jailhouse snitch goes and takes to uh, the authorities and is like, Hey, here's the bodies. And sure enough, they go find the bodies of two adults and two kids at this location. And it happened because Tom H. Miller, who again, no one in this podcast listening to this podcast probably heard about before. You might not hear about him laughter, but he got justice for those kids Because he was willing to take a risk and do the right thing. And he's a public servant who's spent his career as a prosecutor. Certainly could have made a heck of a lot more money at some point, you know, switching to criminal defense or doing whatever else. And he's done work that he loves on behalf of anybody in this state. If any of us were victims of crime, he would have proudly, proudly handled the case and tried to do the right thing with that one. So, you know, it's kind of like the pie program we're trying to lift up good public servants. We're trying to talk to people about the fact that there are good public servants out there trying to make their government more efficient and we're giving them awards to recognize them. And so maybe, maybe just in a little way, me telling this story about Tom is a little bit of a reward for him, but there's good people in this world. They're all over the place trying to do good things. And a lot of them oftentimes don't get enough credit for it. Well, uh, Rob, you uh, <laughs> you did exactly what we always try to do, which is bring things back full circle. Uh, th th that was a, oh, good. <laughs> an absolute pro move there to to do a callback. Uh, no, I I really appreciate that story. I think I think so many times, uh, you know, where people get uh, uh, jaded with with uh, you know a district attorney or a, a, you know a representative of the state in general is is that that bizarre uh attachment to win loss records right yeah. uh, that that people only want to take cases they can win and and, and you know I, I certainly understand that but i i appreciate that there are people out there that are, are more concerned with doing the right thing rather than, yeah. than just and i want to their stats yeah, and, and, and just, just almost to say it, you know, the other people who work in that division, in the area prosecutions division, Scott Brown, Doug Hammerand, Andy Prosser, Susan Crisco, uh, Lauren Roan, who's now, you know, running for Polk County attorney, but Coleman McAllister, who's now on the bench, Keisha Kreitzinger, John McCormley, who's now, uh, you know, uh, chief of staff in the auditor's office. But, um, these are good people. Uh, Denise Timmons, who, who has left the office as well. Good people in that same office doing the same thing as Tom did in that case, taking the tougher cases, being willing to lose if that's what it took to do the right thing. 
and just trying to trying to do justice in the world. Um, and there's a lot of people out there that do this, and you know they uh, they do deserve that credit. It was kind of the ethos that Tom imbued into the into the division because we would take these at the our our our, our division area prosecutions would take these cases that county attorneys didn't want oftentimes because they were tough and the feds, the feds didn't want them oftentimes because they were tough and we'd handle them. And the expectation was that we lost some of our cases sometimes. Uh, the, the, the trial with Eddie Tipton. I mean, we had a trial when we only knew about the Iowa ticket. There was a nationwide television broadcast the morning that we started evidence in trial at Polk County courthouse with an expert predicting that I was going to lose. Mm-hmm. Like it was a tough case. There are people in the office who are like, I don't know, you probably should settle this. But I didn't, we, you know, we, we couldn't work out a plea agreement that I felt was satisfactory. And so we went to trial and it worked out. <laughs> uh, it, we, got, we got to the right result, but that was a part of doing the right thing. I, I certainly could have gotten rid of it and, and not taken that risk, but I didn't, we weren't, we weren't, it wasn't where it needed to be for me to feel good about that. No, I, I, I appreciate Do, uh, the idea that doing what's right is worth the risk. I think, um, yeah, I think that's uh, an easy thing to say, not always an, an easy thing to do. So I, I, I absolutely commend that. Well, and Tim, we've talked about what my dad has always said, that doing the easy thing isn't always the right thing to do and doing the right thing isn't always easy. And you can apply that to a lot of things. Yep. Yeah, I mean that. So I've I've mentioned the five and a half year old twice, but we always have also have an eight year old, and he's more of the age where that he's starting to glom onto that kind of stuff. And you know, it's the same way you raise your kids. We should expect that people in elected office follow the same rules that we teach our kids. And I, and I think we can get there. We're just at a moment in history where the divisions in front of us combined with a system that fosters divisions and, and incentivizes them is combining to, to put us in a really bad place. Yeah, we, just the whole landscape of where we're at as a nation right now is such at a tipping point. And I've had this conversation with several people that good people that I think sometimes will go, I'm over it, I'm, I'm disengaging or whatever. And I, and, I, and I constantly fight back at that and say, yeah. when all the good people leave, what does that leave? That's right. You, you, you know, those are the people that need to stay, not in the fight. I don't want to use the word fight because it's not a fight. That's right. When all the good voices leave, and the common sense and, and, and the level-headedness leaves, all that leaves is the fringe. Okay. Yep. And it's, want, that's a dangerous good, area to be in. You want the good voices involved in the conversation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, I wasn't yeah, sad that them... Tim left Twitter. I wasn't sad about that. <laughs> <laughs> and Tim took a break from Twitter. It was the greatest three weeks of my life. 
Twitter is such a cesspool. It's... You know what, man? All, no, you, all you've mean, done is defend ketchup as a too. condiment. So maybe... I put ketchup on chili dogs just tonight, dude. What is wrong really? with that? You put ketchup on yes. chili dogs? Yes. What's chili the point of having yes. the chili, then? That's yeah, like a, right? That's is like it, a crime against ketchup, chili. Listen, all I'm telling you is... Thank you, Rob. If you put ketchup on the chili, it gives a little bit of that sweet tang. I'm just saying. There's a lot of other ways to get sweet tang on chili without putting just processed Dude, sugar tomatoes. I'm, listen, I'm just going to tell yeah. you right now. I'm 300 pounds. Don't tell me <laughs> I don't know about food. <laughs> right? Like, that's going up to Mike Tyson and go, you don't know anything about boxing. Like, come on. Uh, I'm saying, no. I'm going to, you know what? Yeah, also, Tim, just to be irritated. Don't touch it. I, I drank, a little peach, drank a little peach whiskey tonight too, Tim. Just get you a little irritated because I know how much you hate that. Uh, Tim's a Tim's a snob when it comes to food and alcohol. No, so. I just actually care no, I, about you know quality. I, I don't understand why quality is such a bad a, a bad thing to to care about. I don't. That's no, I, I. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna. We talked about occupying the middle ground and how dangerous that is, but I'm gonna go ahead and say that I'm pretty sure if you're eating chili dogs. You're, that you can't be a food snob just because you don't want ketchup on it. <laughs> chili dogs, by definition, are not, you know, I, 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 I no love hot dogs. I love chili dogs. Wouldn't call them, I wouldn't call them high class. They're not no. connoisseur quality. I'm just saying. Yeah. I just wouldn't put ketchup on it. What a weird... Okay. <laughs> You're a weird man, Chris Shipley. You are very... Uh... I appreciate that. <laughs> all right rob well, well i'll ask you this one last question and then we'll let, we'll get you back on your evening Shoot. um 2022 rob goes back what advice is he given 2012 rob saying 2012 rob uh let's see so i would have been ooh, guys i am um you know what happened to me in 2012 is I got married and June 2nd is going to be my 10th anniversary. Oh, wow. Uh, wow. To, my, anniversary. To, my, to my really, my really wonderful wife, Christine. Um, the advice I would have given myself is over communicate. And it would have been in the context of marriage. Yep. I've said since before I was ever married, that my conception of marriage was, you know, we don't call things commitments when they're easy things that we always want to wake up and do no matter what. Right. Hmm. I remember bizarrely that there was a guy that I worked with in high school. Uh, I, I was in high school. He was much older, but I remember having a conversation with him about it and he, and, and, and saying that to him. And I remember he came back to me like a long time later and was like, that was really helpful, but, but it's true. Right. You don't have to, you don't have to commit to breathing. I don't have to commit to like having breakfast every morning. Like I love breakfast. I'm ready to have it. Uh, marriage is not always easy. And I think like any relationship, you know, you can hit the point where you're just kind of like, I'm tired. Uh, you know, especially once you add kids to the mix, but there were points, there have been points where I didn't do the best job of communicating or I, I didn't do the best job of saying what I was thinking or saying what I was feeling that I think probably many, 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 many times, if I had just done that, that would have fostered the kind of openness uh, that I think we're getting into now 
in our marriage that, that just makes it an easier place to be where you can kind of say whatever you want to your partner and expect that, uh, you know, whatever the reply is almost matters less than the fact that you're talking about whatever it is. Hmm. That would have been my advice. It's very, very solid advice. Well said. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, shoot, uh, Rob, I think, I think we're at that time to wrap things up. Is there anything we want to give you the opportunity? Is there anything else you want to say? No. Anything else you want to plug? Anything you, you want to direct people towards? Um, oh boy. So many things. <laughs> Throughout that fundraise, that, that was my favorite part when Governor Reynolds said that she wanted her own AD AG and you <laughs> you raised quite a bit of money that night. We did. We had a days. good we had a very good 24 hours. Um, I don't know. I mean, parting words of wisdom for me are just like well, I mean, I guess I guess if there's anybody out there who's thinking about tuning out. You know, like you were saying about one of your friends, Chris, like stay tuned in people like we need, we need good people active. We need them involved. Um, there are so many problems in front of us, but we're not going to solve them by continuing to do the same things that we've been doing. Um, and so my, I just, I just hope people out there, especially at a time like this where, you know, we've had these two mass shootings in the space of a week. We can't give up on this stuff. We, we can't. We have to stay involved. I, I, there's this, here's some parting words for you. This is a, a quote that I've, has been a favorite of mine for over two decades. Do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. It is not your obligation to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. You know, we can't. It, it, it's, it's not enough for us to say, oh, well, I can't, I can't fix it. Well, it's the, the question isn't whether you can fix it. The question is, are you? Are we doing what we can do? And we got to do what we can do. And once we've done that, then you know, we can we we can know that we've done what we can. And trust that everyone else is doing it too, and we can get to a better place. But sure, everybody can find me on Twitter, and you can find me on Facebook. And uh, if you send me messages on there, I'll I'll try to try to engage with you and follow you back and that sort of thing too. So. Thanks for having me, guys. This is a fun conversation. Thank you. Yeah, R- Rob, I I can't thank you enough for uh, just your your openness and, and uh, all of your thoughts uh, and you know uh, your challenges as well. I, I appreciate that. Uh, kind of like you said, you're, you're trying to be the best version of you, and uh, I, I think that's something that we can all aspire to be. And so uh, I'm very grateful that all you know how to be is you and i hope someday <laughs> i figure that out as well um, rob i'll uh, i'll give you a, i'll give you a little piece of not advice but suggestion yeah. go see our friend rob taylor down at uh, down in Osceola at, at revelton distillery do you know rob taylor rob taylor he was a former legislator in the iowa house uh-huh. republican started his own little business down there uh, I think you two have a lot in common, even though you're on. You the say he's in Osceola. Is that what you said? Yep, he's just outside of Osceola. Uh, go, go check out Rob Taylor and and, and fourteen hundred West Bay Street in Osceola, Iowa. There you go. I think, <laughs> oh, you two, boy. Yeah, I think you two would get along. All right, all right. I'll look him up. Thanks, Chris. Yep. 
Awesome. Well, uh, that's it, listener. You have once again wasted another listener. hour. <laughs> <laughs> True. Um, we got five. We got I, five. I was going to say, uh, <laughs> I, I'd like to, to say, shout out to all of our listeners, uh, Bill. Um, <laughs> yeah, Bill bitch last two days ago because we had an episode in two weeks. We got jobs, Bill. Uh, anyway, thank you all for listening once again to yet another edition of Old Man Strength. You can find us on Twitter at strength underscore old. There you can also find a link to our website, which is far too convoluted for me to share uh, uh, over the airwaves. Uh, I think it's a GeoCities page. I don't even know how these things work anymore. Um, uh, <laughs> we are grateful to our guest, Rob Sand, once again. For We're going to launch MySpace. I haven't heard of GeoCities for like 20 years. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, uh, and I, I realize this is uncouth to like chime in now that you're wrapping everything up. No, do it, Rob. I have to do it because I was thinking about what I was saying before, and I, and I want to name two other two other people from area prosecutions, and that's Candace Lockhart and Sonia Selmeyer, uh, who are wonderful, wonderful folks who are not attorneys, but uh, Candace is a victim witness coordinator who who really did an amazing job of holding people's hand through some of the toughest experiences they've ever had, and and Sonia is just absolute organizer and assistant of all things, you know, jack of all trades, extraordinaire, and. The attorneys couldn't have been doing what they were doing in courtroom without their backup. So I just want to add those names too. Perfect. That's excellent. Rob, thank you very much for uh, caring so much about people that you want uh, everyone to get credit for the amazing work that they're doing. That's kind of the whole point of this podcast is, is, is uh, cool. re- really highlighting some amazing things and some amazing people. So thank you very much for that. Uh, so again, please go ahead, uh, follow Rob on Twitter. Uh, he will probably follow you back and you can you can harass him there um it is always a good time uh again strength underscore old side grad side dad i am back on twitter i can't be a twitter quitter for very long so tim johnson mn i uh, will see how long i last again before i give up because of the cesspool that it is uh <laughs> <laughs> um, but we thank you all very much for listening and we will see you guys next time I don't want to get on the bandwagon I'll burn that wagon down and join the band Traveling troubadours terrorizing street corners Just to try to get some supper in our hands Now I waited all my life to get this off my chest Green bloody murder until someone understands That it ain't about the money, the drugs, or the women I make this noise just because I can And we'll all join in to that original sin